0: And fish can coexist peacefully. Read my lip. And then we're going to Washington D.C. to take back the White House.
1: Ah! I love the poorly educated. We're the smartest people. We're the most loyal people.
2: Guys, we did it. There's no more nuclear war. There will never ever be a nuclear war now. We did it. So happy. It's done. No. It feel bell. good. No, Bell. No, <laughs> Bell. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that would be the funniest Nobel ceremony ever. (laughs) Imagine that speech. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) Oh, it's going to be a fun one. Hi, guys. It's Barstool Politics. I'm your host, Nick McGuire, joined as always by Dr. Bill Muck from North Central College and Dr. Phil Barker from Keene State College. Hi, guys. Hey, Nick. Hey. Howdy. Hey. Nuclear war. No more. It's gone. It's Nuclear gone. War. It's like it never no happened. More. No more. <laughs> <laughs> and it just took one man. Yeah. It was it. And it was over in like two hours. Yep. Never again. They're going to be denuked. <laughs> Before we get into that discussion, uh, quick shameless plugs. Uh, if you like the fa- uh wow, if you like the Facebook, um, <laughs> I don't think a lot of people like the Facebook right now. Um, if you like the podcast or have comments or suggestions or anything like that, stuff you want us to talk about. Uh, hit us up on Facebook at Barstool Politics, Twitter at Barstool Paul, P-O-L. Uh, beers that we try you can find on Untapped that you can download on iOS and Android. We're just Barstool Politics on there. Uh, the podcast itself, find on SoundCloud and Stitcher and Google Play Music, and then especially on iTunes, which is most where most of you are listening. Uh, so review us and share us on there, and uh, we really appreciate it. There's a lot of new people listening so uh
1: yeah keep doing that because we like when you listen because re- it makes us happy remember you can ask your smart speaker to please play the the podcast I forgot about barstool politics you have to say please play the podcast barstool politics but if you say that it's all there seems so to be very well, polite about yes it.
0: will siri do that too
1: i don't like siri I've <laughs> <laughs> tried. think
2: anybody uses it i <laughs> All right, let's uh, do the thing. Should we, should we talk about the summit? Okay, yeah, so probably.
1: the entire world turned into the much-awaited Kim Jong-un summit, uh, which occurred late Monday into early Tuesday morning. And good news, as Nick's pointed out, uh, just this morning, Trump tweeted that, quote, there is no longer a nuclear threat from North Korea. I knew he could do it, Phil. I knew it. Um <laughs> <laughs> Trump said of Kim Jong-un, quote, he's got a great personality and he's a funny guy. He's very smart. He's a great negotiator. He loves his people. Uh, we're going to denuke nuke North Korea. Now, Phil, you is denuke a real word? Sure. Okay. All right. Because I know you're the spelling. Spell right spell right. So the summit made for a must-see TV As Trump was in full salesman mode The two shook hands, smiled a lot And released a joint statement While the statement called for the complete denuclearization Of the Korean Peninsula It was very light on details on how that will actually be done In fact, the statement only called on North Korea To quote Work towards complete denuclearization Phil, aren't there a lot of things in life That you're working towards But have no intention of actually accomplishing? Oh, I intend to accomplish them all. <laughs>
0: I'm just not working all that hard.
1: Alright, all right, so all in all it was an extraordinary event. Trump appears to believe that through his power of the power of his personality and deal making skills, he can solve a problem that has plagued the United States for decades. So much to talk about. Phil, why don't we start with your reactions to the event and oh all the stuff.
0: All the things. Um <laughs> I it I think my first reaction is how Dull. It ended up being like I don't. Mm -hmm. It seems sort of so anticlimactic for all of the buildup, and and I don't know if that was just because I had created some sort of uh, idea in my own head of what was going to expect, what what was going to happen. I you know I don't know. I tend to come down somewhere in the middle. People have been um, really strongly on on one end or the other in terms of reactions to this summit. Either. You know, Donald Trump is fantastic. Look what he's accomplished. And, you know, if you looked at the Fox News crowd or if you look on Twitter from the conservative side, it's like fantastic what he's done. Um, Most foreign policy people have been incredibly critical of this, uh, saying that Donald Trump gave up a tremendous amount. I mean, we we agreed in this agreement, in this signed thing to cancel all um, military exercises with South Korea something that we hadn't even i guess we hadn't even talked to South Korea about that as long mm. as they as long as they play nice that <laughs> right. was not in the agreement at all by the way i think that trump was just
2: in his yeah
1: trump said that in he his promised statement. yeah yeah, yeah. Right. And, and um, apparently also today it was released or i'm sorry north korea said that trump also promised to remove the sanctions which again like Nick, it wasn't in the agreement no. but he there said there was that.
0: almost nothing in the statement yeah. right Right. So I, th- I think that's the thing that I um, I mean, we did we gave up something big, which was just the meeting. Right. Mm-hmm. This is a huge photo op. The photo op for uh, for Kim was um, was, you know, that's that's really important in terms of propaganda and all this other stuff that he's that, that he he wants to accomplish. Um, that was a, a pretty big Chip, right? That we could have used for leverage. That it felt like we gave up for not much. Having said all that, I don't know that anything. And from my perspective, I would be interested if if either of you see it differently. I, it doesn't feel like anything terrible. Like it doesn't feel like anything's worse because of this meeting, right? It doesn't. I don't. Not for a second do I think that anything is better or different. Um, I don't think the the nuclear threat is gone. North Korea is not going to change anything. They're not going to denuclearize. Um, I think what what both people wanted, what Trump wanted, what Kim wanted, was the the sort of spectacle and the photo op. And they both got it. And I don't know. I mean, there's part of me that thinks, again, like we talked about, I guess, last week or the week before that, you know, talking is not necessarily bad. It opens communication. I don't have any high expectations. And and I do think there's a lot of room to be critical of Trump for basic, especially on the heels. We're going to talk about the G7 stuff. Yeah. But after on the heels of all of the fallout with our allies to stand next to a guy who is uh, undoubtedly one of the world's worst human rights violators and shake his hand and talk about how much he loves his people and how great he is and how nice he is and all of that. You know, that's it's it's, there's something shameful about it, but I don't know that we're worse off necessarily. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah. Nick, what you want to.
2: I'm I'm very happy. I'm really glad
0: that there is never going to be nuclear war
2: ever again. (laughs) It's it's really a weight off my shoulders Um, as as on uh, uh, everyone's shoulders, I would assume. Um, Yeah, I, I, I mean, I'm kind of in the same boat. Realistically, like I said, The comments about the war games are, those were not in the statement at all. Uh, Working towards denuclearization, I mean, I don't think anyone was under the assumption that they were going to agree to give up their nuclear weapons after one meeting, so I don't really know what. I understand the history of the North Korean regime and their, you know, propensity to lie about these things, but there does seem to be a concerted, at, at least outwardly um, visible, wanting to create dialogue with the rest of the world, especially between the United States and China. Sure. Um, I, I don't know. Like, this was, I think this was, this was a good first step. Uh, what really has bugged me about it, as uh, you brought up, Phil, is just this, 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 vehement vitriol uh, from the left and then this just messianic just praising Mm -hmm. on the right. Um, I, I mean, I get why on the right. What I don't get on the left is they're so angry about this, assuming that he's given up anything. And realistically, again, there's nothing in that statement. And all of a sudden, for someone who you say lies about everything. You're going to take everything that he's saying as gospel truth now, which is fucking ridiculous to me. On top of the fact that you're talking about having dialogue with a horrible dictator who treats his people just atrociously and people are starving and human rights violations. We opened up dialogue with Cuba. <laughs> it's On top of that, we were a bee's dick away from nuclear war with Cuba and we just open relations with them again because the previous president wanted to cement his legacy with something, some sort of foreign policy win. And that just, it just, it's so hypocritical that it
1: just bugs the living daylights out of me. Yeah, I don't have any problem with conversation. So, you know, I, I feel that way about Cuba. I feel that way about North Korea. Now, how you go about that matters. And I will say, especially when you're dealing with North Korea, Phil, as you suggested, the optics matter a lot. I was not real pleased that both countries decided or or the U.S. consented to having both flags next to each other where they come and shake hands. So there's there's a way to meet and have dialogue without giving North Korea this propaganda victory that they certainly wanted. And so I think that could have been handled better. But to Trump's interest, he wanted that. Right. For Trump, this is that's part of the experience is coming out and shaking hands and smiling and giving Kim Jong-un the thumbs up. You know, all all those things, I, I would say that is not not a good strategic choice. The question of human rights is an interesting one, right? Does does Trump bear some responsibility to push back on that? I don't know. I'm kind of torn on that as well. I think the bigger issue here is the nuclear weapons. And so you want to talk about that. But if you sidetrack things talking human rights, and it prevents real meaningful progress on the nuclear weapons front, you know, I think that may be a strategic miscalculation as well.
0: I, I think that point is valid if there was actually progress to be made on denuclearization, right? They they didn't give I mean that that's part of what bothers me about it. I the meeting I don't mind. Um and that's you know, you're exactly right, Nick, and, and it, there's been lots of stuff going around this week of you know, people Fox News when um Obama was talking about possibly meeting or that said he he would be open to meeting with with the North Korean uh, regime, Fox News lost it over that, right? Mm. That 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 would happen. And now Fox News is just going, you know, just gushing about this. And and similarly, uh, right, people on the left who were pissed off about this, you know, when we opened up, uh, not just Cuba, but if you go back to opening up Trade more thoroughly with Canada, with Canada, with (laughs) China, (laughs) right? With China, this idea of you know constructive engagement, right? That we're going to bring them into the international system, um, and that's how you sort of call them it. So I'm not necessarily opposed to the meeting itself. It's this the dishonesty about it all, right? Mm-hmm. To come out and say, to to o- openly say that the threat is gone, and talk about it as if there's been this massive victory. Well, that's just and, stupid. I, right. <laughs> I changed them. <laughs> right, right. And so, if you're not going to get anything, I don't. I, again, you don't. You don't. You can meet with North Korea and open dialogue, but part of that dialogue should include the fact that they are, you know, that they. You know, if, if you're going to talk to them about relieving sanctions or ending war games, it's not just denuclearization. It's stop killing your own people yes, in massive numbers. Sense, right? yeah.
1: There's a place to, to, to have that conversation. I would. Say this was the first stage. Right. So in some ways, this is the easiest one as well. Right. The handshakes, the smiles, all of that. We're going to talk about this. We're going to build our relationship. The hard... The hard work comes next. So Pompeo is in apparently South Korea now negotiating and talking, but that's when it gets really messy because, okay, if North Korea is willing to denuclearize, what does that look like? What do they want in in response? It it gets us, it draws some interesting parallels to the Iran nuclear accord, which was incredibly difficult and painstaking to get done. Trump's going to have to go through that same process and he's going to have to compromise on things and come up with a flawed deal if he wants a deal. So you're saying it's not going to happen. Uh, I, I, it's going to be really hard, right? I, I, this, this in some ways is a bigger test for Pompeo than it is for Trump, because I'm guessing sure. Trump checks out right now. He, he feels, I, I did my thing, I started the process, he'll tweet a little bit here or there. Now it's really up to Pompeo to say what's, what's going on and how interested is Kim Jong-un in trading weapons <laughs> or, you know, however they want to handle that for economic engagement. Uh, so we, we don't know that yet.
0: So one of the encouraging things that I take away from this is that it seems to me—and this is kind of building off of what you're saying—it seems to me that this summit was more a product of Pompeo than of Bolton, right? I mean, we yes. were—we had talked about previously about the the worry about John Bolton, who has advocated military strikes and assassination and all these other things, and this was not. There was no hint of that at all, um, which is i and i'm sure they're i'm sure that's disappointing to some people but to me that's encouraging good news it feels like pompeo is is the you know we talk about adults in the room and i and i don't i said last week that i do not like ted cruz i do not like pompeo either but uh in this
1: in this case i'm i'm glad that he has the ear of the president over john bolton and to that point we haven't seen john bolton on any of the news shows he hasn't been on the sunday morning talk shows It, it feels as if Somebody, And I don't imagine it was Trump, but maybe it was John Kelly said, you know, no more. We need you to calm down. Trump himself has even calmed down his tweeting. So I I don't know if this is all Pompeo's work. Is he is he getting the president to be more reasonable in a way that nobody else around him has up until this point been able to do? And if so, yeah, good on Pompeo.
2: He's calmed down his tweets.
1: They asked him during the press conference (laughs) about Kim Jong-un. Okay, there we go. I'm sorry, yeah, good qualifier. (laughs) Because even during that press conference, and I was up at like 3 a.m. listening to this uh, post-meeting press conference from Trump, which was wild. You could tell he was tired. It was just all over the place, and he did talk about how he wasn't, he was going to call the, that, you know, there was not a place for that kind of tweeting anymore, and now we're in a better place. So uh, somebody is convincing him that a softer tone with North Korea's productive and mm-hmm. it's gotta be Pompeo. I don't know who else it could be.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you think North Korea lays low as a result of this? I mean, it's I mean, not, it doesn't fit in their, in their, you know, standard operating procedure. I mean, it seems like they, when, when things, when they, when they want something or they need, they want international attention, they, you know, they go into bluster or some sort of missile test or, or whatever. And, It seems like if they were smart, they would just stay quiet for a while. But I I have a hard time picturing that. And then I I can't imagine if they do something like that. I I don't know. It'll be an interesting test because Trump, you know, I could see him really exploding if they do something, you know, threatening or it doesn't appear like it's in line with this. But he also has an ability to overlook things when it's someone that he feels like he has a friendship with. Yes. And so I, I, it'll be interesting to see what happens when this agreement is in some way
1: tested. Well, you, Phil, you tweeted out something today listing all of the different agreements or the number of times that in the past that North Korea has said they were willing to denuclearize. And it was a whole like, bunch of them. It's like 12 mm-hmm. times in the last 20 so, years. So yeah. we can't forget that this is, uh, this is something that's happened before, where North Korea says, hey, we're going to denuclearize, and then they don't. But to your question... I think we don't know anything about what's going on inside Kim Jong-un's head, but I get the sense that he's more interested in developing that their, their, their economy. They're in bad shape. Agreed. And so more so than maybe any time in that country's history, they're open to some kind of economic engagement with other parts of the world. So maybe that creates the crack where they are a bit more calm and they say, let's pursue this in a more meaningful way. I still don't see them giving up their nuclear weapons, nope. but maybe they're willing to talk about reductions or eliminating tests, and all of those things would be productive, mm-hmm. but then would require the Trump administration to lower their expectations. So, But again, that, I think that would be good.
0: Mm-hmm. From a rational standpoint, I mean, if you assume that they are a rational actor, they, having achieved nuclear weapons, right, they have nuclear weapons that are effective and that they have delivery mechanisms, there's no real need to continue pushing that, right? They have gotten to the level they want to be at, and now you can start to talk to other countries, to China, Japan, South Korea, the US, on a different level or on a different playing field. And and so, you don't I don't there's a I think there's an argument to be made that they, they might start acting more rationally, mm-hmm. right? Um, or or that I mean, I guess you, you would say that they've been acting rationally, but they might start acting less belligerently, right? Because mm-hmm. they have achieved this. You know, they 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 are there now. They can talk to the U.S. Uh, differently than they could before they had nuclear weapons. Um, and yeah, it'll be interesting to see if that if that actually plays out that way. It would be fantastic if it did. Yeah, I mean, I I, I think that's. I think that would be
2: a good development in a lot of ways, but it also is setting a horrible precedent, if that's what it takes to become a rational, reasonable, respected actor on the world stage, mm-hmm. is developing nuclear weapons and then seeing what you can get out of it. <clears throat> um, having said that, uh, like you were saying, uh, uh, you tweeted, Phil, and you were saying, Bill, um the fact that they have lied this much previously is extremely worrisome, but like... You still get from an overall just optics perspective, you had the two heads of state, the a belligerent, you know, East Asian country that has ties to no one, that has no economy and has nuclear weapons. And then the strongest country on the face of the planet. Having at least some measure of diplomacy between them, which I never thought I would see in my lifetime. And you guys are a lot older than me, so I'm sure you <laughs> didn't think you were going to see it in your lifetimes. Um, that's that it that's hopeful to me, Uh, regardless of, again, who is involved in the process currently right now. I think that's that's a net positive Um, kind of uh, going along with the rational actor thing. I think we also can't really overlook the influence of China and what they want out of this situation. I think when the sanctions were put back in place by the U.S., China, generally speaking from what people can tell upheld those and stopped importing north korean labor and you know goods and things like that and that's a severe strain on the north korean economy and it's hampering development in areas of china that don't need that i think this is a really really good economic opportunity for them for nothing else maybe nothing else than super cheap labor um on top of potentially having the ability to develop All of North Korea in their image, which I don't know, could be bad for us or good for us. I think any economic entanglement, whether it's with China, which it almost certainly would be, but also better diplomatic relations and economic relations between South Korea and the U.S., that's how the system works. Like, it's very hard to separate yourself from that system and be able to function in the international community.
1: I, I really wish and I think that all of that is right. And so there's a moment now where North Korea has these weapons so that they feel more comfortable operating. They feel like they're a legitimate actor. They're in an economic dire situation. I just wish Trump wasn't present president for this moment because it's really it's a delicate negotiation. Mm-hmm. And my fear is that he's going to prioritize how he looks in this as opposed to what's really in the US strategic interest. In that press conference, he was talking about how he doesn't like having troops in South Korea. You know, that that should scare us all, because even if they agree to denuclearize, you know, getting U.S. troops out of South Korea fundamentally changes that balance of power there. So, you know, I think Trump may have an incentive to go soft and to cave in ways that others might not. You know, or at least I think it doesn't reflect U.S. interest always. OK, a couple
2: things. Yeah. That. So. Do you think this would have happened if he wasn't president right now?
1: I think any. I think Kim Jong Un would have met with any U.S. president. That's. A, I, I, you know, some people are talking that this is a unique moment. Sure. It, U.S. Democrat and Republicans didn't want to meet with him. I'm sure he would have loved to have met him. I do think that Trump's willingness to meet with anybody does create a unique opportunity mm-hmm. um so you know if hillary was president it, it might it probably wouldn't have occurred
2: okay yeah what was the second point i had what was <laughs> the second point you had <laughs> come back up
1: <laughs> or, i,
0: I want to jump yeah, on yeah, that for just yeah, a second though this is the this is the thing again i i, I know i'm beating a dead horse because i talk about partisanship nee. every week but <laughs> that's <laughs> an fuck? example of that that idea right trump will meet with anyone yeah mm-hmm. is part of what conservatives are applauding him for it this is again what Obama said, right that I'm I will meet with anyone. I'll talk with anyone um, that got so much you know there were so many people who attacked him and and I just yeah, the idea itself is I, I don't have a problem with, right? Like in international circles and in international diplomacy, it's meeting with people is is okay. It's like you were talking about yeah. how you do it and, and how what you emphasize and how you go about it. but the, dialogue in and of itself isn't bad. but either. he didn't meet with them. Who
2: Obama? Yeah, Obama didn't meet with him. If he no. said he he could have, realistically he yeah. could have, I, and realistically again under his administration, under that time during that time period, they vastly grew their nuclear weapons program. So, and you can't have it but, both ways. I, I and I understand no, but, the program was already in place and that was probably going to happen anyways. But hey. I, regardless there there could have been a different approach than what has been taken in previous administrations. Thanks, Obama. There, yeah, idiot. No,
0: there, there is 0% <laughs> chance that if Obama had met with, I, I mean, I shouldn't say 0%. If Obama had met with, I mean, I don't think Obama didn't meet with North Korea because, you know, I don't know, He because he was too busy for it or something, no. right? He had his reasons for it. and And it's not like, meeting with them would have prevented North Korean nuclearization, no, right? They were going to do this. Right. So the idea that 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 this all happened because Obama wouldn't meet with them is... I, I don't... That's not... No, that's not I'm right. not saying that this happened because
2: he didn't meet with them. I'm saying that the strategy that they had in place and their relative lack of... I don't know. What's the word? Um... I can't even think of the term uh, diplomatic experience, mm-hmm. I guess, um, did not necessarily help to stabilize the situation as much sure. as it could have. Not so, that this is a stable right. situation, but right. it's a different situation that realistically produced something that could potentially be positive in the long run. And I,
1: I do think it that's an also, important point.
0: Go ahead. It, it could also be terrible yes. in the long run. That's right? Yes, right. absolutely don't true. Then, to to accuse the obama administration of being diplomatically like unprepared for this is i mean maybe they were but it's not that donald trump's regime is is diplomatically prepared <laughs> no for this, agreed right? they're but, even less prepared for it but uh, so yeah anyway. no
2: but yeah i guess my point is they were Mm-hmm. Diplomatically unprepared for just about any major foreign policy issue that came up that I can potentially think of. And you're glaring at
1: me. <laughs> yeah.
0: That could be um, that could be a bit of an overstatement.
1: Okay, One thing to kind of bring us back to the beginning of the conversation, I th- you know I always think about the Cold War and Reagan and Gorbachev and that, that personal relationship that they developed sure. helped bring about the end of the Cold War. And so if a relationship between Donald Trump and Kim Jong-un, as weird as those two guys are, would help. De-escalate and move us in a positive direction. I'm all for it. Sometimes quirky is good. I still think we are so early in this process. We can't talk about success yet. We said there's been one sort of mild conversation, and mm-hmm. there's been no real progress yet in terms of actual implementation of a denuclearization program. So, you know, all of that is it's, it's, it's going to be a long process. Sure. Yeah.
2: This could fall apart tomorrow, yeah. and I would not be surprised if it did.
1: Uh, exactly. Regardless,
2: be, yep. I... I at least at the moment, I think this is a fairly positive development. That's the, the only
0: good thing that I can say about it. (laughs) Are we agreeing on that? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) My, my critique of it, and it'll tie into the next topic we do is that I, in, in a vacuum, like by itself, Donald Trump meeting with Kim Jong-un, I don't necessarily, I don't think that's necessarily bad. I think opening dialogue is, is again, like it, there's potential for good to come from the, come of that my My critique of it is the context to do this and to treat Kim Jong-un the way that he was treated in the context of how we are having massive fallings out with our other allies to mm-hmm. to meet with North Korea w- in ways that potentially undermine our long term long standing alliance with South Korea and Japan that's the stuff that is that it's not that it's not that u.s north korean relations are necessarily made worse by this they might be made better by this but the u.s situation globally as a whole i
1: think could be made worse by this because of the way it's been done that's fair good transition Mm -hmm. phil Into speed round. Before we go to speed round, should we talk beers, Nick? Sure. (laughs) Phil, you're drinking something that looks like swamp water. What is it? Yeah. yeah.
0: (laughs) So I am drinking um, a beer called Psychic Warfare, which just seems very appropriate for this week. It's from uh, Mason's Brewing Company, which is out of Brewer, Maine. Hey, Brewer, that's a good city to have a brewery in. Um, When I poured this, I was a little – I was a little – I don't know, a little dubious because it is very, for a, for a, uh, whatever this is, an ale, it's very cloudy and foggy and kind (laughs) of grayish. I called it pond water. Um, but it's, it's really good. Um, I don't really know what I'm talking about. Uh, so take this with a grain of salt, but it's like if an IPA and like a light lager had a baby (laughs) it's it's real it's hoppy it's got that hoppy flavor but it's it's um, lighter than an ipa and yeah it's i'm i'm enjoying it that sounds good that does sound good Mm -hmm.
1: so nick and i are drinking my this might be my favorite summer beer the lining kugels grapefruit shandy (laughs) oh i love it it's a creative choice yeah i know (laughs) it's just the it first, is very good. Yeah, the first time my brother introduced me to this, he's like, "You got to try this shandy." And I'm not. I'm not a huge shandy fan until I had this shandy, mm-hmm. the shandy and the grapefruit flavoring because it's apparently not real grapefruit; no, it's just flavoring. Not. But um, oh, fantastic,
2: Nick! It is very good. Yeah, yeah. That's that's all we've had thus far. Um, again, if you guys have suggestions uh, on beers or want to see what what we try uh, every week, um, download the Untapped app. You can find it on iOS and Android. Um, we're just Again, barstool politics on there, so follow us on there because it's good. cool. Yeah.
1: All right, speed round. It's gonna be a good speed round. Topic number one: a special place in hell for Justin Trudeau. <laughs> so last weekend, the G7 had a meeting, and let's just say it didn't go particularly well. Apparently, now we hate Canada. Uh, following the G7 meeting, the Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau said Canada would retaliate against U.S. tariffs on steel and aluminum products. President Trump heard of Trudeau's comments while flying on Air Force One and quickly lashed out on Twitter and withdrew the U.S.'s support for the joint communique. He added that Mr. Doe was, quote, very dishonest and weak and acted so meek and mild. Uh, White House Trade Advisor Peter Navarro went even further saying, as I started, there's a special place in hell for any leader that engages in bad faith diplomacy with President Donald J. Trump and then tries to stab him in the back on the way out the door. Navarro told Chris Wallace on Fox News Sunday we've talked recently about the growing divide okay on, on Sunday we've talked about the growing divide between the United States and its long long-standing allies, but Phil, picking a fight with Canada he's gone too far hasn't he? <laughs> <laughs> this this must stop <laughs> not just not just Canada, but the whole dynamic between Trump and the G7, how awkward that was and then to go and have this wonderful dynamic right. with uh, with Kim Jong-un.
0: Yeah, this is the contrast that really is disturbing to me. So it's because he left one meeting to go to the other. So he left this G7 meeting to go to the North Korea summit and to see the way he so fully embraced Kim Jong-un. It's easy to chalk up the comments he made about Kim Jong-un's a nice guy and we hit it off and he likes his people and all of that. It's easy to dismiss that as just bullshit, right? Um, Unless you put it into contrast with this. So he has just left A meeting with the U.S.'s top allies in the world in which he is saying far from that right there are all these photos of the standoffs he's not shaking hands with people there's hilarious it's not just Canada it's like fallings out with with Germany and with France you know France this relationship that he had going with Macron seems to be dissolving um, didn't he show
1: up late for like a session on gender and women rights like he just walks in and disrupts somebody's speech yeah. <laughs> so, and he left the g7 early and
0: so I mean it's the this contrast is is really remarkable and and trying to figure it out I mean there's lots of there's lots of um I don't know there's lots of kind of avenues you could go down here um, I mean there's the the idea you know I saw somebody talking about the the strangeness of the um Trump administration position that global trade is killing the U.S. Right, whether it's trade imbalances with China, whether it's tariffs, you know, unfair trade practices from Canada, all that globalism, that international trade and free trade is is destroying the American economy. At the same time, that the Trump administration is openly arguing and touting that the U.S. economy is the strongest it's ever been. Right, mm-hmm. so there, it doesn't there's it doesn't make sense there. Um, I saw people talking about how. Trump is just not used to being in a room with other strong leaders who don't have to do what he ha- says, right? So he's, a, he's come out of a real estate and a corporate world in which people who work for him do what he says, right? Or they go away and sitting down in a room with seven, you know, six other world leaders who um, are going to tell you when they think you're full of shit because that's their job. If you're the leader <laughs> of Canada or the leader of France and the U.S. is doing something that affects your country, you're going to tell them. But that's just not something that he handles well.
1: Oh, and it's it's, the the contrast is stunning because he gets along so well: Saudi Arabia, China, Kim Jong Un, all these others, and it's just uh, Putin. Putin, (laughs) And it's it is miserable every time he gets together with the European allies. Mm -hmm. Well, they don't look like a fun group. I'm not gonna lie.
0: Trudeau (laughs) is delightful.
1: He's not delightful.
2: (laughs) No, he was a little weasel and (laughs) and
1: stabbed him in the back. (laughs) okay
2: (laughs) I'm joking (laughs) anyways no no I I, I agree with you guys the fact that it's gotten to this point where there is just so it's I never really thought I would see a point I you know diplomatic relations between the US and Europe can get testy at times especially you know since the, the institution of the European Union and you know trade imbalances and currency and whatnot. but like this is these feel like personal vendettas now, which is really, it's not a good place to be in. Having said that, I mean, there are significant trade issues that do need to get worked out between the EU and the U S and there are imbalances even within the EU. There are significant trade imbalances between Germany and France and Italy and anybody else that you could possibly think of, especially, um, between Germany and everybody else. Um, but you solve those problems in a measured diplomatic way. Mm -hmm. You don't, it's, It's just, it seemed like high school drama, which you look at those pictures, that's exactly what it looks like. You look like you're talking to one of the guys who just, just, he just doesn't give a shit what you say. It's, I, I, I don't know. Oh. It's, it really rubbed me the wrong way. Back to
0: the Future, was it Biff? Yeah, he's Biff Tanner. Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly, that's
0: who we are. We walk in right. and we're like, you know, we're say idiots. hi to your mom for
1: me. Right.
0: Yeah. That's I, terrible. I've seen a lot of a lot of people, a lot of people in foreign policy, a lot of conservatives in the foreign policy circles talking about specifically how um, bullying doesn't work with diplomacy, yeah. right? And that and the idea of... Trump's approach is bullying. Right. I mean, that that's the idea of when you look at how he solved real estate disputes or how he got elected president, right, how he handled debates, this sort of kind of attacking, um, you know, threatening uh, approach to things. And that just it's it it's a terrible way to yeah. go about
1: Diplomacy. It's, it's so bizarre because these should be easy conversations. You right. know, talking with, with Great Britain, talking with France and Canada, these should be delightful conversations where you don't have the same kind of stress that you would have with Kim Jong-un. Like, if I was talking with Kim Jong-un, I'd be a little stressed, Nick. But talking to the Prime Minister of, of the United Kingdom should be easy. We're long-standing allies, and... I don't know. I think this undermines diplomacy in a really meaningful way. I mean, they're talking about going to the G6. You know, is it Macron who said like, that? Come on. Just grow the fuck no, up. No, I know. But, but you have to be... They have to be so just... Know, out of sorts with what to do with the what? United States at this point. Yeah. Why would they not go to the G6? I,
0: I mean, you, you say grow the fuck up, but like <laughs> if, if if the U.S. is just essentially non-cooperative and threatening every time they have a meeting, then why not just say, hey, we're going to have a meeting, the six of us who can cooperate
1: and get things done. And it, Trump may even say, like, I'm not going to show up next time. It, it may not even be the G6's choice. It may be right. Trump saying, I'm done with these. Uh, I, I, so I, 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 th- I, go ahead, Phil.
0: <clears throat> I didn't mean to cut you off. No, you're fine. Okay. You were saying. I, I just wanted to touch on a couple of things that, that came up. One of which, Nick, you were saying that there there have been tensions in the past with the EU, and and that there has have been for a long time. But it always felt like it was like a family dispute, right? Like yeah, you, yes. you fight within your family, but you're 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 still family, right? Yeah. So you you can have it out, but but you know we're like you were still family at the yes. end of the day. Mm. And and this I don't know this just feels different. It just feels nasty. The other thing I wanted to throw out, and then I'll, I know that we're at past time, but I don't care. Um, <laughs> the other thing I wanted to throw out is this Trump, because you were talking about it too, Nick, that the Trump administration is really focused on trade imbalances. Mm-hmm. And and I, I I saw an article this week that pointed out, and it was, it, for whatever reason, I hadn't really thought about it either, but they were pointing out how that's a really strange thing to be focused on, that trade imbalances aren't in and of themselves problematic, right? If you think about the the article... Uh, that I read was talking about from a personal example. When I go and spend $200 at Home Depot, I don't expect Home Depot to also spend $200 with me, right? They don't. They don't have to. They don't have to pay to come to one of my classes that I teach or to buy, you know, my, you know, hand-painted jeans or whatever I make. That, that's just that's a trade <laughs> awesome. imbalance, right? I buy right. more from them than we they buy from me. have to circle from... back to that one. <laughs> <laughs>
1: right,
0: right. Let's put a pin in that. I, I buy more from them than they buy from me, but that's not. That's not bad, right? That's just the way trade works. It comes around in other ways. And Trump has been so totally focused on trade imbalances. Mm -hmm. We might buy more from China um, they China does have some unfair trade practices. But even if they were playing fair, we would still probably buy more from them than they would buy from us because of the cost of labor and all sorts of other things.
1: And the really um, bizarre thing about that is that even when you look at the U.S. and Canada, it is relatively balanced. Right, you know, right. we buy more goods, but they might buy more services. And in some ways, that's the kind of relationship I want. Uh, <laughs> it, it is. And I think most economists... <laughs> are less concerned about trade imbalances and uh, compared to some other issues globally right
2: well yeah I, I mean we've seen some of the results just you know from the the tariffs themselves especially the the steel tariffs most of the the um steel companies in the u.s depend on raw materials yes. coming from overseas and do more specialized work and the ability to create those raw materials here does not exist and probably will not exist ever. So they're kind of on a, on a limit at
1: this point. That's a really good point. And also along aluminum lines, like beer companies are coming right. out left and right and attacking the Trump administration. Miller Coors, which is, you would think a lot of Miller Coors drinkers would be Trump supporters, right? I mean, that seems like a, you know. It's American. Yeah, right. Uh, same right. thing with Budweiser. So it puts him in an awkward situation.
2: He did say as he was leaving for Singapore that he was making like a tree
1: and getting out of here, though. It's fifth future's great. Thank That's you. Good. I like that. All right, let's for topic two, let's stick with the G7. All right, time to bring Puty back in. So on Sunday, President Trump doubled down on his call for Russia to be readmitted into the G7 and blamed Obama for Russia's aggression in Crimea. Trump stated, quote, I think it would be an asset to have Russia back in. Trump said during an impromptu press conference at the summit, I think it would be good for the world. I think it would be good for Russia. I think it would be good for the United States. I think it would be good for all the countries of the current G7. I think the G8 would be better. Now, many of you remember that Russia was suspended from the G8 in 2014 after they invaded and annexed Crimea, the first violation of a European country's border since World War II, which is kind of a big deal. Trump continued. I would say that the G8 is a more meaningful group than the G7. Absolutely. He also blamed former U.S. President Barack Obama for Russia's move into the nation. Quote, you'll have to ask Obama because he was the one that let Crimea get away. He allowed Russia to take Crimea. That's crazy talk. But all right, Trump seems historically accurate and reasonable here, right, Phil?
0: (laughs) He He also, I saw, said something about or tweeted something about how it, it, his understanding is that most people in Crimea wanted to be a part of Russia. I mean, he's just—he's just wrong on all of this. Um, I mean, this is so. I, th- this fits into a couple of other, uh, you know, storylines that we talk a lot about on here. One of which is going back to what we've talked about already in this episode, which is the contrast, right, between the way he treats. Germany and Canada and France and other countries who are well-established democratic allies of the United States who have been with us in foreign wars, who have been, I mean, right. they have been as the the core of like the Western world order since world war II. the way that he acts towards them and then to turn around and to be this way with Putin and with Kim Jong-un. And it's just, it's, it is a startling contrast. And I, I don't understand it. Right. That the, I, I, there are lots of simple explanations about how he has this affinity for dictators or strong leaders or whatever. Um, and I, I, I don't want to believe those, but it's, it's so over the top that it's hard to come up with something else. And also in the line of what we talked about in previous weeks about stop looking so goddamn guilty. <laughs> right, right? Right. Like, <laughs> yes, exactly. If, 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 there is no improper relationship with, with Russia, I, I just, what the hell are you doing? Spending the G seven fighting with Canada and France, and talking nonstop about how it would be better if Putin were there. it, I it, it, it is insane. I can't come up with a, a no. reasonable explanation other than he is somehow in Russia's
1: pocket. I don't get it. I saw this. I can't remember if I saw the article somewhere or tweet somewhere, and I said, "No, he he didn't gotta actually be fake right. He didn't actually say is this an onion. <laughs> mean, he didn't really say this." And then I went and found the audio clip. And it was, he kind of brought it, 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 he's going to get asked these questions, but he could deflect them. Instead, he just doubles down and embraces this one and makes an argument that, you're right, Phil, this makes him look so guilty. And I can't come up with a, a genuine strategic reason why it would be better for the United States to re-engage economically with Russia. This one, the, I, I can't come to terms with this. Nick? I, I just love <laughs> that
2: he wants them in there and then immediately goes, uh, talking about the Obama administration, he's the one that let Crimea get away. <laughs> right. He allowed Russia to take Crimea. <laughs> so he doesn't like that, yeah. but he wants to talk to him. Sure. They right. should absolutely be integrated into this very
1: prestigious <laughs> group of countries. Russia, Brett, bad. Let's bring him in. Right. <laughs>
2: right. <laughs> yeah. It's... I, 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 I was like... I, I, I can't believe it was a real thing. Yes. it's insane. Uh, I it just uh, there's like there's nothing more to say about it. He looks guilty. Yeah, it's an asinine thing to say, and I don't think he has the physical capability of deflecting anything. I think he says something. Somebody questions questions him on it. And like you said, he doubles down and just keeps digging the hole, because yeah. he doesn't know how to do anything else, and I assume he thinks he's going to pop out the other end at some point.
1: <laughs> I, I'm searching for other reasons why he would say this, other than he owes Putin, right? And I don't want to I don't want to be a conspiracy theorist, but he makes it so easy.
2: <laughs> I mean, realistically, I think it would be good to have diplomatic relations with Russia when you figure out all of this shit, and they agree to
1: stop being assholes right, to everybody. Right. But until that point, there's no reason to. Well, and that's a good point, because Putin responds to being pushed back, right? Putin is somebody who pushes and pushes and pushes. And so you have to push back. And I think that's finally what the G7 did is to say, we're going to kick you out. You've been bad. Oh, oh Phil. <laughs> if, if you were,
0: if we were going to sit down and like predict, if I were to say to you, imagine a Russian agent got elected president of the United States, <laughs> right? what would they do? Um, And this list would be it would be in line, you know, causing rifts with with traditional U.S. allies and right. not just in Europe, but in Asia and North America, like it, constantly praising Russia, pushing for bringing Russia back into the world. Like he's Pick a fight doing, with Canada. <laughs> he is acting out Vladimir Putin's wish list. Now, that doesn't mean that that he is a Russian agent Good or point. any of that. It, it could just be that he we've talked before about like if people are nice to him like he has this friendly relate like putin has been friendly with him whereas trudeau and macron have not been so it could i mean there could be all sorts of other factors that play into it but the end result is that it looks bizarre i don't like Mm. it just especially In the midst of all of this Russia investigation, it seems like your antenna would be up to, like, I have to. Even if I really like Putin, and I think that even if he legitimately thinks the G8 would be better, the smart thing to do is
1: to say, well, um, you know, they they have some issues they need to address. Can you you imagine, like, so, so when he said this the other day, I'm sure somebody from the Mueller investigation is listening to this, right? And they probably go to Robert Mueller and, like, Rob, this is he just he, he just said this, and I'm like, no, he didn't say that. Turn did he? the TV on right, <laughs> right. now. He's, he's now calling for Russia to be back in the G7 or G8. It's just, oh, all of these topics, I could never have predicted them two years ago.
2: You wonder how many times that text message comes through to Mueller. Yeah, you just turn on yeah. the TV, turn right. on Twitter. <laughs>
1: right, you won't believe what's happening. Right. <laughs> right. <now. laughs> All right, we're done with the G7 now. All right, uh, but we next topic, we have a new new doctrine, Nick. Those of us interested in American foreign policy spend a lot of time searching for and then debating the various foreign policy doctrines of different presidents. Yet this has been hard to do with Donald Trump, who doesn't seem much interested in political philosophies or doctrines. As Phil often notes, Trump is no more than an impulse reflex machine. Nevertheless, The Atlantic published a piece this week by Jeffrey Goldberg, where he goes inside the Trump administration to try to determine whether there is an overarching doctrine to what often seems to be chaos. And I'm happy to announce that the search for the Trump doctrine is over. Nick, why don't you tell the people the name of the Trump foreign policy doctrine?
2: We're America, bitch. (laughs) so succinct.
1: I love it. Phil, why don't you tell us what you think of this doctrine? (laughs) (laughs) And I I should say, like, this is this literally was a conversation where he's talking with an official. So he's talking with this guy and he says, well, there really isn't a Trump doctrine. And the official says, no, there definitely is a Trump Trump doctrine. What is it? He asks. The Trump doctrine is we're America, bitch. That's the Trump doctrine. (laughs) That was from somebody inside the administration explaining their foreign policy doctrine.
0: The, the article is fascinating because that that's a quote from one of the officials. But he talked to lots of people within the Trump administration and a, most of them said not that exact phrase, yeah. but something essentially along those lines. Right. Something along those lines. Um, I, You know, <laughs> when I saw this article, I just I saw it and it just made sense. Right? <laughs> that, <laughs> that is when you take into account the approach that. Um, the Trump administration has had on all of these various issues, it just makes sense in this, in this idea that like we don't give a shit what mm-hmm. the rest of the world thinks. We're just, we're, you know, you, if you don't like it, tough shit, right? That's kind of the approach um, that the Trump administration has. I don't, I'm not particularly thrilled about this no, approach or this, this. doctrine. Um, and I'll be interested to see how it gets, uh, you know, sort of the, the nuances come out as people start to analyze it and understand it. But,
1: uh, yeah, it, it certainly makes sense. T- to me, it suggests a total lack of professionalism. And I don't mean in terms of the, the words themselves, but whether it's a Democratic or a Republican regime, people that are involved in the foreign policy decision makings are career long officials. They study this. They travel the world. They think about the long term implications of every single move. It's like a global chess game. Uh, And and again, Democrats and Republicans go about this differently. But there's a level of professionalism, not just to walk in a room and be a bully, to be biff again. That's what we are left with because of Trump's disdain for the foreign policy elite. And and also for the fact that nobody who is really qualified wants to be part of this administration. Mm -hmm. So we're left with these yokels who think this is really how you behave. And we see it. We saw it at the G7 and all of this. It's. I don't, Nick, Nick, I don't, I love it. I Nick. want to see a document with that on the top in the Library of Congress oh, you know, immediately. You know 25 years from now when they write foreign policy books, or 10 years from now when they're talking about different presidential doctrines, this is, yeah. this is it. I um, Maybe yeah. not that word. But. Well,
2: I hope that word, it's it's just, it's hilarious. It's too funny. Wait. Um <laughs> yep. <laughs> Go ahead, Phil. <laughs>
0: no, I was just, the article. The article even cites that. What's the? what is it team? What is it? Team, team America? America. So yeah, 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 the America so. that the the similarity to the the theme from that movie, which is America, fuck yeah, yeah. right? Yes. Like it's the same idea
2: <laughs> that, that is now our foreign policy doctrine. Oh uh, boy, um, yeah. I, I mean, it's it's ridiculous that it's uh, whoever is left in that administration is not who should be in charge of the executive branch of government. It's, it's insane. Having said that, I, I mean, I do think that there is some room for debate in how the U.S. uses the capability that it has and potentially could use it in slightly more overt, aggressive ways, depending on the situation that that we're in. The opposing part of that is we are the global superpower and have to be a stabilizing force globally, or we, you know, tend to be in situations like we're in right now. And we're supposed to be that middle ground to solve issues as opposed to being this fucking wrecking ball that sure. just goes through everything and disrupts the system that's already in place. You pick away at the system. You don't <laughs> Ch- take a wrecking ball it. to it.
1: Well, that's a good point. But you draw a contrast between. I mean, I think the George W. Bush administration. You know that neoconservative bent. They were about exercising American power, and and they were relatively indifferent to global norms. But how, even how they went about it was so much more professional than Trump.
2: Yeah. I mean, that was you also had, you know, in the wake of 9-11, there was a lot of carte right. blanche to be had there. Sure. So that but, didn't yeah. Make I make mean, much I, sense. But yeah, go.
0: I think there is an argument that this has been an element of American foreign policy yeah. for a long time. Sure. It's just distilled into a more pure form with with Donald Trump. Right. I mean, like George Bush is a good example. Right. I mean, people who study the Bush doctrine, one of the pillars of it is unilateralism, that we're going to do it our way. And if you don't like it, tough and there's an element of that with Barack Obama, right? Mm-hmm. We're going to drone strikes in Pakistan and other parts of the world. Like if you don't like it, tough, right? We this is we are a world power. We have these abilities and we will try to work with other people, but to the to, when that fails, we're still going to do what we need to do. It's just the extent to which that working with other people goes right the other administrations were willing to work longer before they got to the tough we're doing it
1: anyway approach because there is value in diplomacy and building relationships and Mm -hmm. and i think the trump administration is missing out on that and to the detriment of our long-term you know geostrategic goals Mm -hmm. no i i I suspect that if the trump administration published
0: a foreign policy a formal foreign policy doc document stating that the trump doctrine is We're America, bitch. That I I suspect that with a big chunk of America, that would be popular. Hell yeah, it would.
1: Without a
2: doubt in my mind. This this is very depressing news.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, as scary as it is, is to think about that, I think you're probably right, Phil. There'd be many Americans who are like, absolutely right. He tells it like it is. If Donald Trump were running for
0: re-election and put an on his campaign platform that his foreign policy is "We're America, bitch," I don't think that would affect him in terms of like polling. I, your slogan. trademark market. I
1: hope he's not listening to the podcast <laughs> <laughs> because you're right. He will. He will do that. Yeah, it's. I I, I don't know. Uh, uh... It's entertaining. It's it's entertaining. <laughs> that's the thing. And
2: I think that's it, what a lot of people yeah. see and it's it makes them laugh and it makes them just kind of giggle at what's happening, yep. but there are real yes, real yes. consequences yes, to all absolutely. of this at some point. And we're not seeing those consequences yet. People right. think so short-term now and they want to they want their team to win. Yeah. That's that's the primary goal. It's not how you get there or what you do, it's the end result. And this is, this is the longest, longest of games that you can play. So this is not the doctrine to have.
1: <laughs> uh, that's a great book because there are real problems in the world right now that we are not addressing because every week we get sidetracked by some new circus. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. All right. More new good, good news. Um, <laughs> so we have some new asylum rules. And, I, I'm, yeah, I don't know why Jeff Sessions can be so mean. He's very really mean. Uh, Attorney General. Jeff Sessions has ordered immigration judges to stop granting asylum to most victims of domestic abuse and gang violence, a move that could block tens of thousands of people, especially women, from seeking refuge in America. The decision which immigration advocates are sure to aggressively fight comes as session seeks to use his authority the authority of his office to sharply change US immigration laws to make it less friendly to asylum seekers. The Attorney General has the power to issue decisions that serve as a binding precedent for immig- immigration judges. In this instance, he used a case involving a victim of domestic violence from El Salvador to rule that survivors of such private crimes are not eligible for asylum under U.S. law. This should also go over well internationally, right? I mean, this is, <laughs> we talk about our image abroad. This is kind of a curious one that he picked this battle to say domestic abuse and gang violence is no longer justifiable for getting asylum to the United States. Phil, you teach international law. This, this is, uh, this is a, a very unique position to take.
0: Yeah, I mean, I so if you look at the the you know internet, and this is maybe somebody who's better informed will uh, tweet at me that I'm wrong here, but my impression is that the the international you know the international law regarding um, refugees, um, I I don't know that Jeff Sessions is necessarily legally wrong in his interpretation, mm-hmm. right? That right. that the the protected groups, um, the 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 people that you can essentially not under international law, return to their home country, um, there's a very specific list of circumstances uh, that people are protected under. Um, and, you know, domestic violence is not necess- is not one of those. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know that he's necessarily wrong legally. Um, I, I do think there's a pretty strong case that he's wrong morally, yes. <laughs> right? <laughs> that this is just a, a fairly despicable um, thing to do. I mean, maybe not. I mean, I I suppose the counter argument would be that if anybody who has any sort of personal violence in their life has a right to come to the U.S., that's part of what contributes to a larger immigration problem um, and and that we have to be more strict about who, who we invite in. Um, so, I mean, I guess I can see both sides of it from a, from a sort of legal perspective, but from, yeah, from a moral perspective, this goes hand in hand with the, the policies that have been put in place as far as separating children from their parents. Yes. There have just been a number of things that that I think have been intended to create, um, well, they've been intended to create a disincentive for people coming here, right? That Mm -hmm. these, if you come here, you can be stripped away from your children or you, you know, that, that you're not protected just because you're a victim of domestic violence. Um, the Sessions, uh, you know, the, the Department of Justice under Sessions is trying to limit immigrate. The, the Trump administration in many ways has been trying to limit immigration. And this
1: is just another example of that. Mm-hmm. It's a created deterrent. And I think yep. Sessions said that as well. Like, don't come here for these particular reasons. Uh, you know, if you're if, domestic violence or gang violence, we're not going to let you in. We're not going to grant you asylum for this. And I think you're absolutely right. We haven't really talked much about uh, the process of separating parents from their children but that is also intended to create this deterrent to scare people who might otherwise legitimately have a claim to asylum worrying about this this potential separation it is it's in terms of like measuring u.s soft power you know the the appeal of america around the world this one is is devastating because uh, this is, we're talking about relatively small numbers here of people that might be getting in for this so i, I don't know if it all balances out evenly mm mm-hmm.
2: yeah and, Go ahead, Phil. No,
1: you go ahead. You haven't had a chance to talk yet.
2: Um, no, I, I mean, I think it's especially separating children from their parents. It's horrible. You hear about situations where people are detained as they're crossing into Texas and the children are taken to New York or yeah. something like that. And, and there's almost no chance of getting them back uh, any time in the near future. I, it's They're coming from horrible situations in uh, from a lot of countries that, generally speaking, are in Horrible states, and and need, that that more than anything needs to be rectified. Um, I'm I'm kind of with you on this one. From a legal perspective, I think he's in the right on this one. And realistically, as cold and horrible as it sounds, that's really his only, not only but his primary concern in this situation. Morality can come into it when you put a new administration in power that puts someone else in that particular position, but until that point these are the laws that we have and you have to abide by them um i think there's been a lot of rhetoric about a new influx of uh refugees coming in from central and south america so they're trying to create like you said a a deterrent again uh just like when uh, the trump administration was first put into power um yeah, and sessions even specifically said that he hopes that this message gets down to people as they're trying to come up here. It's I I don't know. I I mean, I I would hope it's a, a temporary thing to kind of stem the flow, but more than anything, this needs to turn into not necessarily a discussion about the actions that are being taking or being taken right now, but there needs to be some sort of comprehensive immigration reform effort put into place, mm. whether by this administration, which isn't going to happen, then you need to find a new administration that's going to do that because it needs to happen in the near future. This is getting completely out of hand.
1: Well, I think One of the core elements of the Trump administration really is to cut the United States off from the world. And previously, you know, early in the show, we talked about economically doing that, but this is also in terms of actual Transit of people. Something we didn't talk about is that there's now conversation within the administration about a what do they they call it a the strengthen the nor northern border strategy where there's we're talking not a wall but like cutting off connections with with Canada. So it's it is it is really about isolating the United States from the rest of the world and keeping everybody out. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I agree with you, Nick. It's 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 troubling.
0: i So I I, I just want to throw out that I, I agree, Nick, and that that. Um, immigration reform is desperately needed um, but I also want to point out that the the arguments that that the Trump administration is using um, are also it's like the trade thing in which in which they're arguing that we have the that we have the greatest ec- economy ever, but also international trade is killing us. It's an example of where they talk about immigration as problematic, but immigration numbers are down. Right. Mm-hmm. The, the number of people coming to the U.S. are lower than they have been in you know, over the past 20 years or whatever. And that also there's lots of evidence that deterrence doesn't work in this case. Right. So if you put yourself in the shoes of someone who is fleeing political violence or domestic violence, um the idea that if i get to the us and get caught they're going to send me back doesn't mm-hmm. doesn't make you go well i'm not even going to try right, right? Mm-hmm. And you're still like you the whole idea of asylum seekers or refugees is that their life is so terrible that they, it's not that they're you know right. they're not sitting around thinking about mm, do i want to go to san diego today Correct. or do i want right. to go to work today right mm-hmm. their life is in shambles and so telling them that you're not going to get asylum when you get here doesn't it, it basically it just doesn't it's not effective as a right. deterrent so, it just makes the united states look awful well,
1: right.
2: yeah I, I mean you can talk about the gutting of the state department too and there seems to be no diplomatic efforts to stabilize situations in sure. central or south right. america exactly at, at all whether economically or diplomatically yep. so that's i mean we can talk about the sim- the symptom but that's the disease sure. so something needs to happen there if you're ever going to stop I mean, there shouldn't need to be refugees that are coming from Central and South America. So, I don't know. Something needs to change there if things are going to change here. That's a good
1: point. Thank you. All right. Final topic. Mr. President, could you please stop tearing all the documents up? Under the Presidential Records Act, the White House must preserve all memos, letters, emails, and papers that the president touches, sending them to the National Archives for safekeeping as historical records. This law is being severely tested by one Donald J. Trump, who has an enduring habit of habit of ripping up papers when he's done with them. According to a person familiar with how Trump, Trump operates in the Oval Office, they said he would rip up, quote, anything that happened to be on his desk that he was done with. Some aides advised him to stop, but the habit proved difficult to break. How has the administration confronted this problem? A team of government officials armed with rolls of scotch tape now sift through piles of large piles of shredded paper, trying to put them back together. Sometimes the papers are just split down the middle, but other times Trump tears them into pieces so small they look like confetti. Staffers collect the fragments of paper, send them over to the records management across the street from the White House to reassemble. <laughs> Phil, this feels like we've got a theme today. This is insane. This is, like, I don't know. Phil? It,
0: it is insane. Okay. So I go back to the Russia thing with yes. the G, G7. And it's hard. A lot of the things that Trump does, it's hard for me to figure out if there's intentionality behind yes. it. Right? So, like, with, with, with the the affection for Putin it's hard for me to figure out if he's in like is he intending to do that like he wants he wants to improve or is it just that he likes Putin and it's just coming from the gut and so this is another example of whether is he ripping these up because he is wanting to conceal the sorts of things that he's talking about or is it that he doesn't want it to be in the documents (laughs) right or is it just like habit and he's Mm absent-minded and doesn't really give a shit I, the fact that he has been told right that's the key factor not just that, that, that hey we need to keep these but he's been told that he's potentially breaking federal law by yes. doing this by shredding
1: documents and he just keeps doing it but to me it's not even that that isn't even the big deal right obviously breaking laws but he can pardon himself but if somebody told me <laughs> if somebody told me some guy some poor guy has to tape all these back together I would feel terrible Nick and I would say I'm not gonna tear these documents up anymore wouldn't you go just for a second just kind of, <laughs> <laughs> right. okay I'll stop <laughs> but he doesn't yeah. it, it's it's a bizarre practice and it, it's it's a reflection on Trump but I'm not sure what the reflection is Phil I think you're right is it is it that he's just a jerk and doesn't care or is it that he just this is what I do I tear things up it's my filing system Porn, I'm
0: done. Well, if that's the thing.
1: have to No, which is what it's
0: concerning, right? If yeah. That's yeah. his filing system. I mean, every time you see a picture of his desk, it is totally clean, right? There's no papers on <laughs> it. There's no, no. There's no. And I, I, I don't know. One, I, there's part news. of me that thinks that when you, I, yeah, it, it makes me worry about exactly how how informed or you know organized or in-depth he is in these in these issues so. yeah i, okay. I mean <laughs> you know, my initial thought was i i assume that it's
2: some sort of ritual that he does when he's done reading something he rips it up and well i'm done with it clearly it's yeah. in two pieces i don't need to read that again and moves <laughs> on to something else but then the fact that there are people that have to reassemble it and he's been told that he just sounds like an asshole yeah exactly which i uh, that's i don't know i i'm giving that a 80 to (laughs) 95 percent chance that that's the thing as opposed to the the former
0: there's a there's a lot of stuff that he does that i try to i I try to imagine how that might be explained by the fact that he comes from a world of business Mm -hmm. but in the world of business you can't just rip up every document you come across right right? like those documents are important contracts and and memos and all of this stuff is incredibly important i just it's a it's a bizarre thing my question is is the guy, we, we talked a little bit about this before yeah. we came on air, but if if the guy who's having to scotch tape all of these things back together, <laughs> is that the worst job in America or the best job in America? That could be really fascinating to go through and and see all of those documents. And to, and or maybe just, it's just nothing. Maybe it's like somebody doodled and he tore it up,
1: but they have to preserve it. It's probably all of it, right? I mean, some of it is probably secretive. Other is probably just some doodle that he's done. But I mean, yeah, you think about that guy. So somebody comes in, another batch Don. All right. <laughs> you know, what does this one look like? You know, the other thing that is sort of related to this is apparently, who is it? Was it Cohen or somebody? No, Manafort was shredding stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so but now the FBI is so good that when you go in and there are shredded documents, it's not even that hard to put them all back together. Right. So we should connect this guy at the White House with Mueller's shredder guy because, you know, he could develop the skill set some. Yeah. It makes this time go a little bit easier. <laughs> oh, my God. It's, it's just bizarre.
2: These are things that just should not be
1: happening. Yes, <laughs> it's, I, it's so I, weird. I can't imagine any other president we've had throughout the entire history where if they came to him and said, Mr. President, please don't tear that up. You know, it's against the law, and some poor guy has to put it back together that every other president would say, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. You know, and yeah. And it's against the law for a, for a good reason, right? I mean, this is
0: where it comes back to this no, this ar- argument about norms and all these other things, in which. I, he just doesn't care like yeah. it doesn't seem that he's all that thoughtful about it right the the idea the philosophy behind it is about government transparency it's not that these documents are immediately available but it's that historians and that people who look at how the government functions the, these documents are available to them right yes. all the stuff we know about the Nixon White House about how we got involved in Vietnam under LBJ all of these documents are because they are preserved right that helps us understand government it helps us keep government accountable the idea Gia is an inherently democratic idea about transparency and
1: he's just like, fuck it, I'm tearing it up, right? No, it's fuck just...
2: you, I'm done with this
1: So at some point when we go to the Trump Presidential Library which will be a thing, right? And it'll probably be in Atlantic City, all of these documents are going to be taped together, right? And, and kids 100 years from now are going to be like, why are they all taped together? I mean, it's, it's, it's like all of it. It, it in some ways it's perfect, it makes perfect sense you know, it's just, yeah. It is a good visual. I that's, guess, right. that's happening. Scotch tape should endorse him or something. I don't know. They should. Oh they should God. work out a deal. <laughs> just yeah. This was a week. Man, the, all of these topics were just all over the place. Just yeah, kind of hurt. Bizarro
2: world. <laughs> yeah. It hurt. It hurt a little bit. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. I think that was it. Right. That's it. Um, yeah, again, uh, like we said at the beginning of the podcast, if you like the podcast or don't like the podcast, I don't really care. As long as you share it, um, follow us on Facebook uh, at Barstool Politics, Twitter at Barstool Paul, P-O-L. Uh, Beers that we try, you can find on the Untapped app on iOS and Android. So download it on there. The podcast you can find on SoundCloud and iTunes and Google Play Music and Stitcher and most major podcasting platforms. Uh, And then try out your your Alexa thing. Tell it to play the Barstool Politics podcast because that's super cool and very 21st century. I don't even know it could do that. Anything else, guys? No. Phil? I'm good. All right. We'll see you guys next week then.
0: Cheers. Cheers.